Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to Adrift with Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port. Now that I've told you, you're welcome to forget it right away and use the space that you have left over to chastise something. doesn't matter what. Hello? Are you listening to me? Everything is amazing. Adrift with Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port. Hello. Hello. We are recording this on a bank holiday Monday. I know, look at us working on a bank holiday. It would never have happened when we were doing the radio show, would it? No, never. I sometimes miss those uh, 11 weeks holiday a year. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, um, I also miss the earnings that went with it, which would then mean it facilitate being able to go on holiday. Yeah. yeah, So, you know, what does it matter, Annabelle? It's just another Monday, isn't it? Yeah. It's just another manic Monday. Yeah. so here we are. I, uh, I I found out some cheerful news uh, in the middle of this bank holiday weekend. I'll go on. My son has ringworm. Oh, I've had ringworm. Really? Yeah, yeah. When did you get it? Uh, as a child. Okay, so yeah. not, not, not as an adult. Mm. I, I, I felt embarrassed because basically there's a lo- local leisure centre and we sometimes take him to the creche there. Mm drop him off for an hour while we enjoy the facilities at the leisure centre, by which I mean the cafe. I was confused then. Okay, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and, and one of the childminders who works in the creche came and found us and said, I think Eugene's got ringworm. Oh. So then we took him to the pharmacist and the pharmacist, yeah, it does look a bit like ringworm, that. But does it, it doesn't feel like a very 21st century thing to have. It does not, no. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if the pharmacist then said, oh, it looks like maybe there's some rickets going on as well. And, uh, we need to get a leech on this. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of what it feels a bit like. His four humours are out of balance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so, I'm quite embarrassed. Oh, that... No, don't be. Really? No, no, yeah, I had it. I had it on my bottom. Really? Yeah, where, where's, where's Gene got his? Uh, on his chin. Oh, his chin? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I didn't notice. <laughs> What did you think it was? Um, I, t- I thought he'd fallen over and hurt his chin because okay. um, he's not very steady on his feet. Right. Uh, a bit like me, you know, I can see a lot of myself in him. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. I was a little disappointed to find out that there's no worm involved as well. Oh, is there not? I assume there was. Why no. is it called ringworm then? I, I'm guessing, and this is a guess, yeah. that back in the day, people used to think some kind of evil worm had crawled under your skin and formed a ring. Oh, okay. But I think basically it's whatever athlete's foot is. It, it's that same thing, but in other parts of your body. Okay, right. But how did you get rid of yours? I had special cream for it. Oh, interesting. Mm. Uh, the pharmacist recommended an exorcism. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, so that that happened in the middle of the Bank Holiday weekend. And it's also, we've just come to the end of this run, whereby my birthday was 20th of April, Jean's Mm. birthday was 16th of April, and Sarah's birthday is the 2nd of May. So we're all kind of within a fortnight of each other. Mm. And I don't know if you noticed the birthday cards downstairs. Yeah, there's a lot of them. Well, I I counted them up. Between three people, there are 22 cards. That's that's good. So that's not even an average of eight per person. No, let me tell you, that's good. I think um, that's good. Really? Yeah, I think that's and good. And I'm guessing that I, I haven't I haven't done the sums, but I think it's skewed in his favour right. because he's a baby. Yeah. And people send cards to babies. Mm. Then I think it's it's me, and then I think basically Sarah <laughs> has a card from... 
<laughs> you counted them up. You did, you're competitive about it. Yeah, but even even so, I mean, it, it means that I probably got, what, five, six cards right, on my birthday, something. Right. It's not impressive, is it? Mm-hmm. And Sarah's probably have three. So it happens when you get older. But why, though? And also when you have a kid as well, I think people think, well, I've sent one to the child, not sending one to you as well. <laughs> I don't know. Do you have your Facebook set so that when it's your birthday, people see it's your birthday? Yes, I do, yeah. I do too. Sarah. Yeah. Sarah has changed hers. Why? Because she thinks that um, it only counts if people actually remember your birthday. Oh, come on. I think so. I love it on my birthday. So, like I say, I only get five or six cards these days, mm. but get hundreds of people. Show off. Show off. <laughs> hundreds of people 22. wishing me happy birthday on, on, on Facebook. Well, I don't know, about a hundred. Right, a hundred, wow. Something like that. But she doesn't get that then. No, because... Oh, but only for people who actually remember. Yes. She's testing people. That's what she's doing. Yeah, she is. But yeah. she's cutting off her nose to spite her face because she's mm. ended up with three birthday cards. Oh. And a couple of texts. If you're insightful and aligned with this vision, you might be ready for the next phase. Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port, Adrift. As ever, we would love to hear from you. Um, My favourite part on this podcast is when you share your stories. So I'd say my favourite part is when you share your stories. Mm. Then it's all Annabelle's bits. Right. Uh, and then it's whoever's on the incident. And right. then my least favourite are my parts. Okay. Right. Yeah. That's, that's a healthy attitude <laughs> to have. Good. Um, so please, yeah, share your story with us. Hello at adriftpodcast.com. This is from Ian. I have a story about accidental racism. I'm pretty sure that was one of the topics. Yes. This was actually a friend of mine, genuinely, and I have his permission to share. Not a huge story, but makes me laugh whenever I think about it. My friend was in hospital, recovering from surgery. Having had his fill of hospital food, he decided he was going to order in an Indian takeaway. After waiting some time, he eventually saw a man wearing a turban, carrying a blue bag, making his way down the corridor. Now, round here, Indian takeaway food is often transported in blue carrier bags. So what happens next is justifiable, according to him. As the man approached, he cried out with great anticipation, Boona for McGrory! Unfortunately for him, it was not the delivery man, it was not his booner, and it was not his finest moment. It was, as you may have already guessed, one of the hospital's consultants. I don't know exactly what happened next. However, I do know there was no embarrassment caused by this incident, as he was so full of morphine that he didn't care. The only feeling he had was that of disappointment at the lack of currying. That is all. Nice today we're all drifting together, but not so close as to have to interact in any social capacity. Oh, that's so good. Yes. I wonder why I don't, like I'm I'm picturing a very specific type of flimsy blue plastic bag. Me too, yeah. Why is a hospital consultant wandering around with one of those? You know what? Good point. Yeah. Good point. But I like this man for being the kind of person who would shout out Boona for McGrory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you've got to like him for that. If we ever get round to having merch made, I think a T-shirt with Boona for McGorry. <laughs> yeah, 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 that give me one. As well as unlucky. Yeah. There we go. Okay, the next one. And he was a bear. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ewan says, I've got a couple of tales I hope you like. One of social awkwardness and one meek-ish revenge. I always hold open doors for people. And one time at work, I held the door open for a lady who was walking behind me, only to be met with a slightly odd expression. It took a second for me to realise that I was holding open the door to the men's toilets and she was not planning to follow me in. My meat my meat revenge <laughs> came when I was living in a flat in Manchester. Wally Range, in case Jeff was wondering. Oh, yeah. not. Um, I like Wally Range, but it's not thought of as one of the more salubrious parts of the city. Okay. Yeah. When I was woken at 2am by some very loud music from the flat above. It was a weeknight and I had to be up for work in the morning, so I did the usual thing. Tutted, grumbled, hoped it would stop soon and tried to go back to sleep. After a while of failing to sleep, I decided enough was enough and summoned all my bravery and knocked on my neighbour's door, which was opposite to mine. There was no answer. They probably couldn't hear me over the music, so I knocked louder. Still nothing. By now, my annoyance had exceeded my social anxiety, so I hammered on the door as loud as possible. If my other neighbours hadn't been woken by the music, they probably had by my knocking. (laughs) However, the neighbour with the loud music still didn't respond. I assumed this meant they'd come in very drunk, put on a CD and passed out, so I was not going to get any peace that night. I then realised there was a solution. In our shared hallway, there was a cupboard with all the electricity meters for the flats and a main circuit breaker for each one. I crept downstairs, not sure why they couldn't hear me, opened the cupboard and found the switch for their flat. I flicked the switch off and as I heard the music stop, 
flicked it back on again and ran as fast as I could back upstairs, <laughs> darting into my flat where they could come out to investigate. I stood behind my door, listening for some kind of reaction, but none came. I'd done it. I retired to my bed, safe in the knowledge that my neighbours would assume there was a power cut during the night and maybe even be late for work as I'd messed up their alarm clock. <laughs> That's a, a very, very good example of meek revenge. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. a few seconds. Turn yeah. it off for a few seconds back yeah. on again. Okay, this one is from Neil in Brum. It's about awkward meetings with famous people. I was once at a night in Chelsea Bridge Studios where a heap of my favourite DJs and producers are playing. I was very excited about seeing the propeller heads, Aphex Tin. Aphex Tim. <laughs> He's great, Emma. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, Annabelle! It's really... a tribute act. Aphex <laughs> Twin. I can't even say the next one. Or Tecro. Oh yeah, yeah. I never quite know how to say that. Right. Oh God. Or Tecca. Lay Lay Rhythms. Lay Rhythms Digitals. Very good. Yep. Did you do A-level or just GCSE French? And Monkey Mafia, <laughs> amongst others. I don't need to mention that this was the 90s. With such a stellar lineup over the three or four rooms, and because it was London, there was a few famous types knocking about. I got to meet Tom from the Chemical Brothers, and I played table football and lost severely with a chap from the Stereo MCs. My night was going amazingly. Everything was ace. And then, walking towards me, was the single most beautiful woman I'd ever seen. Her face reminded me of someone I had on posters on my bedroom walls. Because I had got posters of her on my bedroom walls. It was Sarah Cracknell from St Etienne. Oh, be still, my heart. As she glided towards me, seemingly on her way to talk to me or someone near me, my mouth started making a noise. I was basically just saying her name over and over. (laughs) Sarah Cracknell, Sarah Cracknell, Sarah Cracknell, Sarah Cracknell, Sarah Cracknell. I think I might have short-circuited my brain because my face was not doing what I wanted it to. I didn't want to keep saying her name and staring slack-jawed at her. I'd met some other famous people and acted like a normal human with them. (laughs) Her face went from being serene and angelic to being confused and perturbed. I should probably mention I was wearing a bright green T-shirt which said girls kick ass on it at the time. (laughs) Not sure if that helped or hindered my cause. Her trajectory changed and she gave me a very wide berth. I'm an idiot. Sarah. Cracknell. I know. Sarah Cracknell. Sarah Cracknell. Sarah Cracknell. Uh, very strong email this week. Uh, those are some of the topics. Meek revenge, uh, accidental racism, awkward encounters with famous people and so on. I almost think, was who, who was it that just sent that last email? Neil. I always think like Neil, because he was at that event, is almost too cool for this podcast. Yeah. I mean, I'm quite excited that he's listening to it because I think we're basking in reflected cool just that he was at an event like that, albeit 20 years ago. With Ortecra. Yeah. And lay rhythms yeah. digits. Um, I think if I was to go into my boxes in the cellar, I think I'd probably have an Ortec. You're too Ortecra cool. CD You're too cool for this podcast. I might have listened to one. All oh, right. Okay. So uh, you can uh, you can email us, share your story of awkward human encounters. You're uh, trying to run but stumbling in the human race. Hello at adriftpodcast.com. Adrift, Jeff Lloyd, Annabelle Port. If you get close enough, you can taste the freshness. Annabelle, I see you, uh, you're you putting your glasses on, yep. so I think it must be that time in the podcast where you're going to tell us a story that you've prepared. I am. Now, I was thinking about how I'd made it to 43 without ever having been a boss. The most senior I've ever been in a company was when I was 18 years old and I was the longest serving paper girl. And I had a really easy short round that they didn't want to take away from me. And when I left, it was amalgamated into other rounds. I think it was like when you might have had a really old person at a company. And towards the end, they'd just been given things to keep them busy out of courtesy and respect for their long service. But really, they're just waiting for them to die. It was, I think it was a lot like that. So I think that's when I've been at my most senior. But I've never been a boss ever. I've had loads of bosses in my many, many jobs. And when you were talking last week about the 25th anniversary of Virgin Radio, I was thinking of my various bosses in the 16 years that I was there. And I had quite a few when I was a runner, but my first in programming was Paul Jackson. And I didn't have much to do with him, but, you know, all was fine. You know, we had a good working relationship. Mm. Until the day I had my People Plus with him, (sighs) which was our appraisal. I mean, whoever called it People and Plus. (laughs) I don't know. So Paul had recently got back from two weeks of paternity leave. 
and I'm in his office discussing my role in the company. Or rather, he just talked at me continuously for half an hour, as I strongly suspect he didn't really know what I did, so he didn't want to expose himself by asking any actual questions. <laughs> and you are somebody who knows how to leave an awkward silence. Very much so, yeah. So he's probably just filling the dead air. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he was just talking. And there's a photo of his new baby on the wall. It's not in a frame, it's just a photo stuck to the wall, which is nice. But I couldn't stop staring at it, because I felt 85% sure it was just a picture of a doll. And I became obsessed with the fact that he'd faked his wife having a baby just to get two weeks off work and I stuck up a picture of doll to cover it up. Now, in retrospect, if he had done this, he probably would have put up a photo of just any baby rather than a doll. Like, why would he do a doll? Unless it was the only photo he could find. Now, I confided my suspicions in you very, very privately. And you very, very discreetly relayed them on air on The Breakfast Show that the boss listened to every day. <laughs> and he never said a word to me about it. But that year, he gave everyone a Christmas card apart from me. No. Yeah, it's really bad. <laughs> now, the management changed after that. I'm sure the two things weren't connected. We were bought by a big Indian company. We were managed by three men. There was three bosses. Clive, who did all the programming stuff. Adrian, the finances. And Donna, who kind of oversaw it all. Yes. And as I worked in programming, I saw Clive all the time. The others I didn't meet straight straight away. But I was in the office one evening. Everyone else had gone home. And I saw Clive walking out the office with a group of people that he seemed to be giving a tour of the building to, which he was because he saw me, explained what he was doing. And then he said, this is Annabelle. She works with Jeff Lloyd on the Drive Time Show. And they all looked at me expectantly. So I stood up. I said hello. And I went to shake the hand of the visitor closest to me. I stretched out my hand. But the man in front of me just didn't respond at all. His arms stayed by his sides and he just looked at me. And this went on for, I don't know, probably 89 years. <laughs> me standing with my hand outstretched in front of a group of strangers and this other person refusing my hand. Eventually, he said, I'm Adrian. Now, this didn't immediately make it any clearer to me because I'm not one for office politics, by which I mean immediately remember the names of all three men running the company. And I must have looked blank. <laughs> So he then had to say something along the lines of, I work with Clive or I'm the head of finance. I can't remember his exact words as I was too busy running through various suicide options in my head. <laughs> to be fair to me, though, I'm pretty sure I hadn't met him before. So he could have shaken my hand. It's not like there was some kind of no in-house sort of shaking hands rule, was there? <laughs> you know, it can only shake visitors' hands. I mean, to be unfair to me, I probably should have recognised one of the three most important people in the building. <laughs> And it probably was a bit humiliating for him in front of a group of visitors not, not to be recognised. And that is why I should never be a boss. Form an orderly bubble and off we go. Adrift. Uh, I've done a silly thing. What have you done? said that I wasn't going to do this and yet somehow I've done it and I think it's backfired on me. Um so you know we we've been nominated for best new podcast at the British Podcast Awards. Yeah. But there's also this listener choice category. Yeah. And I got to thinking maybe maybe if I just sort of let our listeners know about it. Yeah. Then we'd we'd stand a chance in that category. I know we're not the biggest podcast in the world yeah. or in Britain or anything, but yeah. I thought we we're probably in a way closer to our listeners than most podcasts. Maybe, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Family's overstating it. Mm. But you know, we're this bunch of like minded yeah, drifters. Yeah, yeah. So I thought if I just send out an email mm. um to as many email addresses as as we've got from people who've contacted the podcast with stories or from people who took part in our podcast census while ago mm. then then maybe that would be enough to to get us uh, some headway in that category yeah so i did so last week and i was feeling pretty good about it people were sending a nice email back saying i voted i voted oh, voted that's nice then the british podcast awards last friday um posted the 20 podcasts that have received the most votes so far oh now they didn't put them in any kind of order so you don't know who's winning or whatever we're not in it not in it Oh, we've so embarrassed ourselves. After all that effort. Oh, not even the top 20. Not top 20, no. Really? So do you remember if, when this first came up in conversation a few weeks ago when we'd been nominated? I said we should just not do that. Yes. Let's have a bit of dignity. Yes. And, and not do that. All these podcasts are begging listeners for votes. And not only have I debased myself by asking for votes, mm. but me debasing myself hasn't even got us into the top 20. This is humiliating. So I don't know what I should do about it. 
Uh, so there's two options. Either you say, look, can you vote for us now to get us in the top 20? Or we just pretend it never happened. All right. Well, I'm going to leave leave that in the in the hands of the listeners. If you want to vote for us, mm. it's britishpodcastawards.com stroke vote. But I almost feel like I should do something that would get us disqualified. <laughs> Why? Because don't you think it's less humiliating to be disqualified? And people think, oh, they might have won, but they've been disqualified. No, not- than it is to not even be able to muster enough votes to get us into the top 20. They're not going to, on the night, say, OK, so here's the winner. I'm just going to list some ones who got hardly any votes at all so they can be humiliated. Like, no, no one's going to know. No, but probably between now and when they do these awards, mm. they're going to publish, the, oh, and here's the top 20 this week. No. And we're not even going to be in that. Oh, no. So it's going to be week after week of us not being in this top 20, which is going to be like a, a oh, reminder of yeah. our failure. Oh, don't. Um, so, What about your other podcast? Yeah, that's in the top 20. Oh, I knew it would be. <laughs> I hate you. It's, it's got more listeners. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. So why <laughs> do you want this one to be in as yes, well? Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Hmm. You know, um, so... <laughs> But if if we went back to my original suggestion, which I think I made on the podcast some time ago, about like paying a hundred pounds to an Indian click farm to vote for Let's us, do it. I want to do it now. I want to do it now. I'm doing then it. We could, then we could get disqualified. Oh, I see. No, and then if we got disqualified, you know, the 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 seed would be there in people's minds. It's like, oh, a drift would probably have won. <laughs> They hadn't been disqualified. I mean, they didn't quite get in the top twenty, like <laughs> that first announcement. So. It was a late surge. Yeah. It was a late surge. Yeah. Anyway, um, BritishPodcastAwards.com stroke vote mm. if you want to. But I wish, I wish we'd never embarked on this Me path. Too. Now, Me I, too. And, it, and and it's entirely my fault. I didn't check with you before sending that email <laughs> because I knew I do this. This is what I do in life. If mm. if I know something that somebody, if I know that it's against my better judgment and if I ran it by somebody to tell me not to do it, I'd just do it anyway and then ask oh, afterwards. Oh, dear. It's a bad personality trait, it isn't is. it? It's caused problems in my marriage before oh, now. God. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, that's that. BritishPodcastAwards.com stroke vote. And, you know, if you are willing to pay an Indian click... <laughs> there are some things that move down the stream. Some of them... Are called Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port. It's coming past you, and on the sale is written G L A P, which stands for Glap Adrift. So, discovering my son has ringworm wasn't the lowest point of my bank holiday weekend. No, what was? See, my glasses are a bit of a mess at the moment. If I hold them up to the light, it's covered in scratches. Oh, yeah. So I'm clum- I don't look after things well. Mm. I thought, I've got to get new lenses in these things. So I went into the optician on Saturday and I said, I'm after new lenses for my glasses. I said, when was the last time you had an eye test? I said, I don't know, two, three years ago. They said, we better do another one. So I go in, I have the eye test. And I sometimes feel like I'm cutting off my own nose to spite my face in the eye test in that he'll say, you know, what's the uh, what's the lowest line you can read? You know, they have all the letters going down the chart. Mm. And sometimes I try too hard. Right. I really strain and guess at one that's actually quite blurry. Right. Because there's some kind of, it brings out something a bit competitive right. in me. Right, yeah, yeah. Do you understand yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, but it's not good for your lenses, really. Yeah, no. yeah. I think there's a Seinfeld line about doing a hear- hearing test and saying you've heard something when you haven't, just in case. Right, right. Which is counter counterproductive, and that's that's a bit like me in an eye test. I will I will strain um, just just for the sake of, yes, I was able to read the bottom line. right. Anyway, so we do all this and it goes on forever and they're putting those funny glasses. I'll tell you what they don't do anymore is um, blow air in your eye to check if you've got glaucoma. Oh, good. I hate that. They, they, they've got a little thing. It's like a gun and it shoots a probe into your eye. No, they don't. Yes. What do you mean a probe? It's still there. No, no, it comes back again. Ooh. It retracts. I think we need to stop talking about this. Sorry. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so so we finish, and um, he says, "Okay, so the good good news is the general health of your eyes is 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 good, um, and some more good news. Your right eye actually has gone from minus two and a half to minus one point seven five, which is something that can happen as you get older. Because oh. I've, I've always been short sighted, yeah. and as you get older, you need reading glasses, and um, and it can sometimes correct itself. My left eye has got worse, so oh. I'm now down to minus five and a half in my left eye. Oh, okay. But he says, uh, but the thing that has deteriorated quite 
significantly is um, your, your close-up reading. Okay. So do you know what he suggested? Go on. Very focals. That's what old people have. I know. Really old people. I know. Do they, and they look like they've got like a, they look like old people's glasses. Know, you can he tell. Said, he said to me. They're not just clear. Said, the thing is, I mean, you're, you're 45 now. What? and no yes it's like you get when you're 85 i know and you can they look weird don't they yes you can't get them i've, I've ordered them go because... blind <laughs> you can't He's, but I've, i mean for a little while now there was um a few months ago my friend dave my friend chris and i went out for a meal and we're all of a similar age dave's slightly older in fact i'm the youngest of the three right are you by yeah. how much uh about a, a month, month. yeah <laughs> <laughs> But we were all in the restaurant and we all had the menus and we were all doing that thing where you sort of oh, move them I close to your face yeah. and move them away again. Oh, no. And and it's because I need very focals. He said the th- the thing is, um, so it's this glass and there's different areas you look through. So if you look through the top of it, it's like your normal short sighted glasses. Oh my god! And then if you look through the bottom, it's for reading books and papers and things. Then the middle, I think, is good for computer screens. But there are just two areas of the glasses which are just permanently blurry. And instead of being able to move your eyes to look, you have to now move your head. What? He says that'll take a bit of getting used to. What? Yes. This is terrible. I news. know. I don't think I can be friends with you anymore. <laughs> I, I definitely don't want to go out with you. With those, we're wearing those old people glasses. Are you going to get a chain for them as well? Well, uh, <laughs> well the choice is between the choice. He said that you know you could always have uh, reading glasses and and um, regular glasses and yes, switch between the yes. two, and then I'd be one of those people who has a pair on the head. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I said I can't do that. Oh. So I mean, do. Do I just have to accept that I am transitioning very much into middle age, perhaps even the middle or late stages of middle age? I, d- I don't know. I yeah. find out in this week's The Incident. Miranda Sawyer is a writer and broadcaster. A couple of years ago, she brought out a book called Out of Time, Midlife, If You Still Think You're Young. Your eyesight at 40 is always going to be better than it is at 50. Sorry about that. So so why is this having such a terrible psychological effect on me then? It's the word very focal, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) If he said, and now you've got to wear sunglasses for the rest of your life, you'd be like, fine, yes, of course. I've always suited sunglasses. That's fine. That's absolutely the person I am. It's the word very focal. Don't you think? Yeah, That's the problem. You need to change it into something else that sounds a bit more like like a spy. <laughs> <laughs> I think with a lot of things to do with ageing, if Madonna has has forged a path ahead for all yeah. of us, it's fine. But I've never really heard Madonna say the word very focals. No, I'm not sure. I, I reckon she just had her eyes kind of laser changed, didn't she, really? Yeah. She probably did that. I mean, you could do that. I have had my eyes laser changed. And you did. I mean, I ended up feeling like God, I have to say. <laughs> I was short-sighted and I went and had them lasered. And very, you know, intelligently, I had them lasered on a massive hangover. <laughs> that was clever. And, um, I mean, you once you've got over what you thought was the um, the effects of the of the laser and was in fact hangover, uh, <laughs> you can see amazingly like God. So you could do that because you can you can get your eyes lasered just for short sightedness. Right. So then all you will need is to put them on when you're reading a menu. Mm. That's my advice. Mm, because then was... you could look slightly, you know, kind of intelligent. Here I'm putting my specs on. Yes, to make, to and take them off again to make a point and then put them back on exactly. again and wave the arms around. Yeah. yeah. Somebody told me you can smell your own eyeball burning while they're doing it, though. That, yes, always, you can. That was off-putting yes. to me. But it's only 45 seconds per eye. I did, like, after the first eye, say to the doctor, mm, can we just wait till we do the other one? And he said, well, you know, the anaesthetic does wear off, so it's normally best to go for both, you know, one after the other. Amazing thing, but you can smell it. <laughs> do, you, do you think this sort of worrying about um, bifocals or, you know, also my hair is perhaps not as ginger as it used to be to mm-hmm. the extent that I think if somebody meeting me for the first time wouldn't identify me as a ginger-haired man but a grey-haired man? Do you think, yeah. do you think this was something that troubled our parents' generation in the same way as it's troubling us? I wonder a little bit. I mean, I think there's definitely more emphasis and more mixing up of youth and middle age than there was when my parents were young. But I think that 
angst generally about aging has always been there. I mean, it just has, hasn't it? It's, it's, the stench of, it's not the stench of burning eyeballs. It's the stench of death. It's the faint witch. Yes, death, exactly. it? yeah. <laughs> just behind you. Yeah. Exactly. Or, or kind of you know, looming towards you. So I think that people had those crises. They definitely had those crises, but perhaps they didn't make such a fuss about it. I think that there's a weird sense now that even when you hit your 40s, you should be, even if you're not that way inclined, you should know who um, Childish Gambino is, for example. Yes. You know. You should definitely know that, and you should have watched the video, actually. And you should also have some, you know, have been or maybe some desire to go to Glastonbury. And you have to have a kind of all-in-one knowledge that includes youth culture. Do you think fogeyism is a way of combating that, then, if I just sort of embrace being a fogey and, and refuse to keep up with pop culture? Well, maybe, but fogeyism just makes me think of... Um, uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg, and you don't want to be like that, no, do you? No, this is true. I tell you what, I really think about middle age. It's a time of shedding stuff that you don't actually care about. You have to be really honest and say, what makes me happy? Like, what makes me happy in the moment when I am doing it? What is it? And as long as it's not illegal and you're not hurting anybody, do that. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Um, happy birthday for all of you who aren't listening, and those of you who are, you're in on the joke. Great, good work. Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port, adrift. Thank you. So let me tell you about something lovely that happened to me. I feel I've been quite negative. I'll, I'll now tell you something something very nice that okay. happened to me. Uh, so it's my wife's birthday the other day, as I mentioned. In the morning, she went off for a massage. And um, and then in the afternoon, I went to meet her with our son. And we were going to the British Transport Museum. Mm-hmm. And while we were in the British Transport Museum, as a little birthday treat, she was going to go off and buy herself some new skincare products from this exciting new skincare store that is going to solve all her problems Good, again. Good, great, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so anyway, we, we meet her and the weather is just awful. Mm. It's, we, we, it's a bank holiday weekend now and actually it's glorious outside. But there have been a few days recently where the weather has just been horrible. It's felt like winter, it's been cold, yeah. the rain's been pouring down. And she never stops moaning about it. Oh, really? Yeah, it's oh. exhausting. Oh, God, really? So she's American, and mm. they have over there, um, in most places, summer. Mm. So it's fairly much guaranteed that from, say, June to mid-September, the weather's going to be quite nice. Too hot, I would say, but right. but not rainy. Now, we don't have that in this country. <laughs> no, no, we don't have that, no. And, no. Um, and, and she just moans about it constantly oh. it's exhausting okay and and my comeback is oh let's move to america then right and which then then it shuts her up right for a few minutes then a she starts minutes. moaning about the weather again okay. not that i've got any particular desire to move to america mm-hmm. like there are other places i'd move ahead of america mm. but you know part of me thinks if it meant that she would stop moaning <laughs> about the weather and that i could run away from my problems <laughs> okay maybe right right maybe it wouldn't be such a bad idea um so anyway, we're walking along the street. It's pouring down with rain. She's pushing the empty pram. Mm. And I have our son strapped to me in a harness in a baby Bjorn. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're really miserable because we're getting soaked to the skin. Mm. All of a sudden, a man says, excuse me, mm. take this. Yeah. And hands me an umbrella. No. Well, just yeah, gives it to yeah. you. I said, oh, no, 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 it's yours. He went, no, no, you need it more than I do. <gasps> oh, lovely th- man. That man that is an, that, I feel like he was an angel sent to make my wife a little less miserable was on it her broke, birthday. Was it broken? The no, it wasn't even broken. There's nothing wrong with it. He was just what? a kindly man. I want to meet this man. Have you ever heard of anything as selfless as that? No, that's just really, really you lovely. See, he then got soaked. Oh, I, I and I had to buy a new umbrella. Yeah, I mean, I I would never do anything as kind as that. Me neither. No. So I thought that, that I would give you a heartwarming story of 
human kindness to offset all me moaning about the ringworm and the varifocals and my wife and the uh, weather and so on. So that's that. And then um, I don't, I'm going to do a big handbrake turn here. Okay. Another thing that I wanted to do was recommend a couple of shows to you. Oh, good. Now, I've told you about Crashing, haven't I? Mm, can't remember. I think this is, it's just finished and I think it's genuinely of late been my favourite programme on television. Okay. It's the thing that I've looked forward to every week. Oh, it's Crashing Day. And it's a comedian called Pete Holmes, and it's a sitcom sort of loosely based on his life about him living as a comedian in New York. I know what uh, you're thinking. Yeah, you're oh, about God, it. like another one of those. Right. Seinfeld, Louis, these these mm-hmm. are all. But this this one is so different. Um, his, he's so nice. So he's like this born-again Christian who gets into doing stand-up comedy, and he's married and very wholesome. So that's that's not something we often see. Mm. And then the level of comedy he's operating at is so depressing. <laughs> it's like these open mic, empty rooms full of losers. And the combination of those two things and how endearing he is, just and, and it's really funny. Uh, I think it's produced by Judd Apatow. Okay. And I really love it. It's just finished for another series. And um, I'm guessing you can get it all on catch up. Uh, it's on Sky over here. But if you listen in the States or else, where I think it's HBO, um, and I, I just really love that. And then off the back of that, mm. I just watched the first episode of something that I think could could be, I don't know because it's only one episode, but I've got a good feeling about it. Mm. It's Bill Hader. Do you know who he is? Yes, I do, yeah. So if you saw the film Trainwreck with Amy Schumer, he's the male lead in that film, mm. but he's also been in a ton of stuff, and I think he's a regular on Saturday Night Live in America. He's very funny. We had him on the radio show once, and he was really, really funny. And um, it's a sitcom in which he plays a former US Marine who's adjusted to you know, civilian life by becoming a contract killer. <gasps> oh. Right? It gets better. Yeah. So in the first episode, the inciting incident, I don't I think this is the premise of the series, so I don't feel too bad telling people. Mm. So he is sent to Los Angeles to kill somebody, and the person that he's kind of stalking in preparation to kill them is taking acting lessons. So he ends up sort of accidentally going into an acting lesson and getting the bug. So he's a contract killer who wants to be an actor. No. Isn't that a great premise for a show? Amazing. And, yeah. the, and the acting teacher at this lesson, who is so good in it, is um, Henry Winkler, who played the Fonz. Oh, brilliant. I mean, already, like this first episode, I think, oh, I think I'm going to really What's like it this. What's it called? Barry. Barry. So his name is Barry. I love so, the name yeah. I'm going to write both yeah. these down. So those are my, I know people sometimes like it when we give mm. um, TV recommendations. So those are the two things at the moment. Um, for any Arrested Development fans, oh, yeah. did you watch that last series they no. did on Netflix? No, because I wanted to watch the first two series again and I haven't finished it yet because I'm very slow. Oh, well, this is good news. Okay. So the last series of Arrested Development they did on Netflix got mixed reviews. Yeah, yeah. So, so basically the truth of it was that that cast has got on to be so successful that it's difficult getting them all in the room at the same time. Mm. So they had to work around that when they were making this series. So instead of it being like the regular episodes where you'd see all the different members of the family and so on, you would have a story told from each character's perspective in each episode. Mm. So, and I liked it. I, I liked it. Because the more the longer you watched it, when you watch the first couple, you think, I'm not sure this isn't as great as it used to be. And then the more you watch, the more the jokes became layered. Mm. And the more you were seeing things from different characters' points of view, the, the cleverer and funnier it became. Mm. But I think, you know, by everybody admission, everybody's admission, it secure its egg. Okay. But anyway, the, the, the guy who runs that show, Mitch Hurwitz, has gone back to it and remixed it. So he's edited it into something that feels more like regular Arrested Development. Oh, wow. And the episodes are shorter, so they're just the same as the regular ones on TV, which are about 20 minutes instead of half an hour or half an hour plus. And I do think that if you tried that last series of Arrested Development and thought it's not as good, go back to it now they've remixed it because I think it's a lot more accessible, if you like, and it's really funny. And that thing about that show is there's so many jokes in it. Mm. Um, you can watch it over and over again because it's so so layered and so funny. Okay, I will. Then. And they're doing a new series. Oh. So there we go. Um, this could be a podcast in itself. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it'd be quite dull. It, and it is really what this podcast, what the, what you just heard there is 
in essence what I'm like socially. <laughs> I don't have anything to say apart from what, 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 what I've watched on television. But, but, but me too, and I don't even add anything. <laughs> apart from, I am quite enjoying Pointless still. <laughs> there you go. Adrift. Under your control. With Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port. All right, time to head to the GLAP clinic. Quandary Corner in Problematic. Rules School. Any more? I think that's all. Okay. So uh, this is where you, you tell us about a social situation that you're struggling in, that you, you need to know what the correct behaviour is, and we will tell you. We will lay down the law. We'll tell you exactly how you should behave. And uh, I, I feel that there have been a couple of occasions recently where we've been a bit woolly, so I'm quite focused today. I'm, I'm ready okay, to go. Okay, me too. Mm. All right, so the first one's from John, who says, hey, the Sultan of the Netherlands here. You know who that is, don't you? I can't remember. Unlucky. No, yeah. oh, my memory is so bad. But even I, I mean, unlucky. That, that, that I is just, one word, and you got it. It's the high point of this podcast I, so I far. I agree. Yeah. yeah, John says I have a query for the quandary corner at the Glatt Clinic and the problematic. I live and work in the Netherlands, and in the office, I've often noticed that I've, I've often noted that when a lift is called and arrives, a colleague will sometimes stand right in front of the lift door before it opens. This usually creates an awkward moment when people in the lift have to get out and he has to back up or move aside. I've also noticed this same scenario happening when I'm in the lift and arrive at my chosen floor. For me, it creates a horrible situation where on the lift doors opening, I suddenly have some stranger far too close <laughs> in my personal space staring at me. My first questions are, how far back should you stand to a lift before the doors open for onboarding and offboarding parties? Is there a set distance? So um, I'm, not, this straight away. I'm not very spatially aware, but mm. I'm just going to stand up yeah. and tell you what it is. So, 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 so if this is the, this is the yep. lift door, yep, yep. then I'd say here. So I'd say about one and a quarter metres. One and a quarter. And do you feel that it's okay to be directly in front of it or do you feel you should stand to one side? Oh! That would be a solution. I think if you're given the correct amount of... Uh, I mean, my my feeling is it should be one and a quarter metres directly in front of it. Okay. But you could, re- I think you could reduce that if you're, you know, perhaps somebody's desk is near the lift or there's mm. a the water cooler or something. Mm. I think you could reduce that to 75 centimetres if you stood to one side. Great answer. Okay. It goes on. Is there a response that is fitting to warn a colleague I'm with if they stand right in front of the door before it opens? Okay, so, I mean, the trouble is here is you're wanting to get all up in somebody else's business, Hmm. which I I don't like to do. If I can be passive-aggressive, I will be. Yeah. But you you don't want to be aggressive-aggressive. So is there... I I think you go, oh, hello, like a bit like, oh... Like that. Oh, hello. Don't you think? <laughs> oh, like you're sort of you're being friendly, but yeah. you're making it clear you're a bit in my face. There, there is an interesting thing, isn't there? That different cultures, um, and I know there's not a great deal of difference with these things in different European cultures, but uh, they, they, the personal space is slightly different. Mm. So, I mean, it could be that you're you're in Rome by which I mean the Netherlands, <laughs> and you're going to have to do as the Romans, by which I mean the Dutch right, do. Yeah, yeah. Um, is is there a way of being passive-aggressive in this situation? So you think saying, oh, hello. Oh, hello. Oh, 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 like that. Ooh. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, that's that's the thing, isn't it? It's friendly, it? but it's like, oh, yeah. ooh, I didn't expect yeah. you to be so close to my face. So another thing you could do yeah. is you could export the email addresses from the all staff email mm. set up an anonymous gmail account mm. and then just write a message about it and send it to the whole company there you go okay he goes on your advice on the above is much needed and gratefully received in advance however what i feel compelled to write is due to what happened to me a week ago i was riding the lift up to the floor that i work on the doors open and right in front of me is a colleague from another department I freeze. I mean, I need to get out, but he does not move. Then I start to realise I'm at the top floor. The lift goes no further. By entering the lift and choosing to go to this floor, there is no other option but for me to get out. Otherwise, the guy facing me is implying that I must ride the lift up and down all day, like the guys in films who work in New York apartment elevators. While I'm thinking about this, he makes some remark that I completely missed, but I guess it must have been an amusing comment. So I laugh and mutter something like, yeah... 
It seems to be the response he was looking for, but nothing changes. I'm facing him and he's facing me. The lift doors are still open. I'm in a mind to let them close, but my subconscious kicks in. I turn to the side, gesture into the lift and say, welcome to my office. (laughs) In a building where only the very, very top have offices, this is a nice, relatable workplace joke banter. He accepts the joke by laughing and squeezes past me into the lift and then I leave unobstructed. I think I did quite well, especially with my past history of off-the-cuff comments working against me. (laughs) But these are my questions. What's the right thing to do? Square off in some weird pseudo-macho alpha male staring contest until the lift doors inevitably close? And if it were a display of power, how well do you think I did? Did I fold? (laughs) Would I become the weak colleague on the floor that would be missed for promotion and laughed at in the canteen? Do I need to move jobs? Uh, Yes is the short answer. Yeah, there you go. Um... I mean, I I enjoy your courage in making the quip there. Mm. I've often thought, you know, occasionally you're in a toilet and you either forget to lock the door or the lock doesn't work properly or something, then somebody opens the door. Like in that situation, invariably, I go, oh, sorry, and slam it. Yeah. I always wish that I was zen-like enough to just sit there and say, oh, I've been expecting you. (laughs) Oh, that'd be so It'd be so funny to do that, but I, I don't know that I would ever be able to curb the reflex and go, oh, sorry. Uh, that's a life goal. That's something to work yeah, towards. Yeah, isn't it? Just, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, let's go on to the next one. This is from Declan Moody. Aww. Yeah. He says, firstly, if you're in a pub cafe and someone you don't know too well buys you a drink when they get their own, it's nice of them. You accept and carry on the evening. But if the evening ends and you haven't got them one in return yet, I never know what to do. Say I offer them some money, they'll inevitably say, oh, no, no, it's fine. And I'll say, no, no, take it. And this will then go back and Mm. forth until one person will inevitably have to back down. And that person probably then looks like the cheaper one. But I genuinely want them to accept it. So that it isn't at the back of my mind when I next see them. And it just makes everything easier. In that situation, should you back down or should they back down and accept the money? I never know. And therefore it goes back and forth more than it should, which then makes it quite awkward. Let's deal with that first. Yeah, this is this is a very good I can relate question. to this. I do. I, it, if someone buys, so, so say I arrive in a pub with someone, they buy me a drink. I am then obsessing about when I'm watching their drink, thinking when, and then if they leave, I'm like, oh, I didn't get you a drink. Like, and they, they, no one cares really, do they? Why no. do you, I obsess about it? Yeah. Um, pubs should do vouchers. Oh, that's such a good idea. Mm. Okay, that's that answered. <laughs> I mean, they don't, uh, but they, they mm. should do. Yeah. Or you should carry a little bag with the contents of a mini bar around with you. <laughs> yes. And then just give them a little kind of like one of those little bottles. Miniatures. There yeah. you go. They, yeah. t- take that home with you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I'm so happy with that answer. Yeah. Okay. Declan says, my second quandary. There's a pub that me and my friends sometimes play chess in. It's quite nice to play while having a couple of pints, although your drinking speed ends up inadvertently stalling to a crawl as you become too focused on the game. Even then, once you do get past that phase, you then start making errors and missing moves as you do get onto that third or fourth pine, but it's still good. Occasionally, though, someone will see that you're playing, come over and start giving tips and helping the player who happens to be closer to them. But chess is pretty much a one-on-one game where the main point of it is it's a battle of wits between two minds. So a third party giving advice kind of takes away from why you're playing. My question is, if someone does come over like that, what is the best way to deal with them? I don't want to sound rude and tell them not to help, but we don't really want them intervening either. What would be the way to go? This is the sort of thing that I, I struggle with, but my wife is excellent at. She can really close people down in a way that doesn't feel, well, I don't know, maybe it does feel overly harsh, but I always feel just too needy of their approval. Mm. Let me see if she's around. Yeah, let's let Sarah! I'll just go to the uh, I'll just go to the top of the stairs. Okay, you shout down. Sarah, yeah. can you pop up a second? There she is. It sounds like she's got a uh, sounds like she's got Jean with her as well. <laughs> hey, here they are. Jean, like, he saw me and cried. He was all smiles when he saw me. So we've we're doing Quandary Corner, and a listener, uh, Declan, likes to play chess in the pub with a friend. But what's happening is people are coming over, 
and they're sort of giving tips and butting in on the chess game. Right. Now, I was saying that I um, can struggle with this kind of thing because I, I, I worry about being polite and about um, offending the person. But I said you're really good at closing this kind of thing down. Yeah. I don't, you know, so I don't play chess, so <laughs> I don't know. And I feel that people who do generally are sort of a type with whom I'm not. But yeah, I just think it would be like, oh, I got it, but thank you. Oh, I got it, but thank you. Okay, I quite like I got that. It, but thank you. I got it, but thank you. Do you not think I got it? It's sounds too a bit American, American right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what would be the English version of that? Hmm. I mean, I, I, I think would... we, I think we need to, you have to have to be American. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah. There. You could just say thank you in a frustrated voice, like thank you. That's not the answer. <laughs> That's not the answer. <laughs> what about thanks, Kasparov? <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> Do you think that's sort of that's? I mean, I don't even, but I can infer that would. I don't know who that is, but I can infer that it's a a, a Russian maestro of chess. There you go. That yeah. would shut them up, wouldn't okay. you? Okay, we sorted it. And that was our podcast. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for listening. Of course, it doesn't just have to be passive, your involvement in this podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have a story about your own ineptitude, we'd love to hear it. You can email us, hello at adriftpodcast.com. And if you want to know what the rule is in any given social situation, we'll try and thrash that out for you too. Uh, hello at adriftpodcast.com. I know I just repeated the email address twice, but you would be surprised how many people tweet me saying, what's the email address again? And I'm sort of thinking to myself, well, you could just rewind it, but I don't know. People are busy. You're busy. You've got your own stuff going on. Thanks to Man and the Echo for the backing music and to Emily Harrison for the incidental music during the incident. And advice this week came from the wonderful Miranda Sawyer. I just love Miranda. I think she's great on radio and when she crops up on television. And her book is really quite something. I interviewed her on the old radio show about it, and it's, it's genuinely a brilliant book. It's funny and thought-provoking and inspiring. It's called Out of Time, Midlife, If You Still Think You're Young. Vince Lynch and Simon Wilcox are our announcers and made our eye dents. Patrick Gunning and Iwana Babu provided technical support. Kim Rainey made our artwork and Carla Gowlett took photos. If you enjoyed the podcast, then why not support us on Patreon? There's even more for you to enjoy, little bits of bonus content. Ooh, there's a word. Uh, here and there. Plus, you will get a title bestowed upon you by Annabelle. Go to patreon.com stroke adrift. And finally, thank you again to that man for that umbrella. I genuinely think he was an angel sent from heaven to keep me dry. Adrift. Adrift. Oh, I've just seen who this is from. It's from our friend Jeremy Brent, who says, Hi, Jeff and Annabelle. Hello. Hope you're both well. The following is not so much a podication as more a celebration of Adrift's first year since you both announced it in April 2017. I know it's a bit long-winded, but I think it's fun. And excuse me, I didn't mean to burp in the middle of your podcast. I stifled it, but even so. You might like to use it for one of the April podcasts. Uh, I promise not to do it more than once a year. Keep up the work. Love, Jeremy Brent. Um, so we're into May, but even even so. Yeah. It is May, isn't it? Yes, yes. Only just. <laughs> so is this um, a poem? Uh, no, it's not. Oh, so I don't need no. to worry about the metre of it. No, 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 no. You just relax. Well, it's virtually a year since we all met up opposite the Roundhouse in Chalk Farm on the 9th of April 2017, which for anyone outside of the UK or London for that matter, sounds like a quaint little rustic dwelling surrounded by cows and sheep, but is in fact a fashionable venue in North London where the launch of Adrift was first and officially announced. And what a year it's been. So, 17th of April. Immediately following the announcement of Adrift, the above meeting took place outside a pub opposite the Roundhouse between Maxine and myself, Jeff and Annabelle, their respective partners Sarah and Tom, plus, of course, Eugene. 
unbeknown to us at the time, Rudy was also present, though only evident in the small of a very small bump in Annabelle's belly. Mm. We all chatted happily, with myself unthinkingly uh, delaying 100 or so other GLAP listeners inside the pub from meeting Jeff and Annabelle. Having waited a full 12 months, I now consider it safe to admit my misdeed <laughs> and walk the streets of North London without too much fear of being attacked by fellow disgruntled, uh, disgruntled fellow drifters. Drifters, sorry, I'm getting a lot of this wrong. This isn't Jeremy, he's writing it right. I'm just sort of barreling ahead. Um, although, if they're anything like me, the angriest of them would likely give me a menacing look and then apologise for having done so. Aww. 17th of May. Prince Philip unexpectedly retires at 96, leaving a position open at the palace which Jeff considers himself an ideal candidate to temporarily fill until such time as he can get adrift off the ground. There is, however, one drawback when he discovers that it would require him to sign a 65-year contract, and we all know that Jeff has commitment issues. <laughs> Annabelle is disappointed, as she feels she could have also secured a lucrative dog-walking contract on the back of Jeff's appointment and gotten them both out of this hellhole. Are all the corgis dead now? I think they are, yeah. yeah. Mm. What are they doing in there? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That must be weird when you get to a certain age where you just think it's probably best not to get another dog. It'll that, outlive that's me. what happened. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 17th of June on holiday in Canada. I was somewhat surprised, to say the least, when I unexpectedly found myself listening to Jeff in the car conducting interviews on the Beatles channel whilst driving Maxine and my friends across the Icefields Parkway in Alberta, the most scenic drive in Canada. Was this the Beatles channel's man in the UK? Nobody could argue that anyone is more knowledgeable about the Fab Four than our Jeff. Uh, but I wonder how many Canadians and Americans listening thought, who was this strange Liverpudlian guy? <laughs> <laughs> there are people far more knowledgeable than me, I'd just like to say. I don't wanna, yeah, there's a guy called Mark Lewison, who okay. I mean, he knows everything. Okay. Um, 17th July. On returning from holiday, Maxine and I immediately began packing our home into hundreds of boxes as I was to undergo an operation just a few days later and one week after that moved to our new house in what turned out to be the most manic fortnight of my entire life. Mm. But whilst I know how interested Jeff is in operations and other medical stuff, I won't bore you with the gory detail mm. as it had nothing to do with bowels or yeah. indeed anything below the waist. Okay. Yeah, it's quite boring, yeah. mm. 17th of August, Jeff Lloyd lures Annabelle into his loft. Mm. No, not another shocking Daily Mail headline, but the event which resulted in the first episode of Adrift being released upon an unsuspecting public. So if any indecent acts were performed between them or a crime committed, only you, the listeners, can judge by considering the podcast content that's been put out every week since. Mm. I don't like the implication. No, that's why. <laughs> I'll tell you, I was thinking about the other day when we first did the Facebook Live to kind of announce the podcast was coming. Mm. And before, you know, while we waited for people to start watching, I just sort of played the bits of music that I'd made. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, which you hear all the little jingles and things on a drift and all these people saying how terrible the music was yeah, that I'd that. made. Yeah, that was, that was difficult. It was upsetting, wasn't yeah. it? Um, September the 17th, a fatberg weighing the same as 11 double-decker buses and stretching the length of two football pitches, is discovered blocking a section of London's sewage system below London. Experts monitor its slow progress from below the streets of Islington, North London, and numerous samples are taken in an effort to establish the cause. It's finally ascertained to be primarily vegan in content and is eventually successfully shifted with a gallon of something referred to by the local council as Satan's shit. <laughs> Mr. Jeff Lloyd was unavailable for comment when we attempted to question him. I, I thought, I thought, I'm, I'm glad that took the turn it did. I thought like the suggestion was going to be that I was the fat bird. Oh, Jeff, your self esteem, that your brain went there. No, uh, I do feel a bit like a fat bird oh, at the moment. Stop it. Uh, 17th of October. Annabelle gives birth to Rudy and thereby provides indisputable proof that despite her claims to the country, a good time can be had in Snaresbrook, even if it's once, if it's only once in every nine months. You didn't quite happen that way. <laughs> <laughs> Where did he have a good time? Didn't, didn't do, it, was, it was all very untraditional. <laughs> that makes it sound 
That makes it sound like much worse. <laughs> oh dear. He had a nice time though. I mean, you... who? Rudy? No, Tom. Oh, Tom. Yeah, I mean, he would have had a nice time on his own in a room at one point. Yeah. <laughs> Were fact, you not in the room? No. Really? I'd love to tell you that story one day. I can't tell it on the podcast. It's too weird. Oh, I bet you can one day enough, yeah. when enough time's elapsed. All right, okay. Okay, I've, I can't wait to barrel through this now. Just so <laughs> find it um, where are we up to? Uh, strangely, Annabelle and Tom chose the name Rudy and not Jeff to honour her co-presenter and mentor. However, in all fairness, even Jeff and Sarah chose an alternative to Jeff. <laughs> I did suggest it. No, no, no yeah, I wouldn't, don't want anybody to be saddled with the name Jeff. Seventeenth uh, of November, with Annabelle now on maternity leave, ironically leaving Jeff truly adrift and in desperate need of a co-presenter, he pulls out all the stops, contacts everyone in his impressively large circle of close celebrity friends, offering them uh, each the kudos of co-hosting the show. Using his own exceptional celebrity status, his renowned charisma and powers of persuasion, he finally succeeds in persuading his wife, Sarah, to co-present. What next, we all wonder? Would subsequent episodes be co-hosted by his mother-in-law, mom, dad, or maybe Jean? It's quite the Rolodex I've got. Mm. <laughs> 17th December. This uh, The increasing panic draws to a close with the timely return of Annabelle, weary from countless broken nights and numerous nappy changes. Yes, there is a price to pay for having a good time in Snaresbrook. Although we've established that you didn't have a good time and the location of Tom's good time wasn't in, in Snaresbrook. In Snaresbrook. No. Do you not even find like having the anaesthetic a bit of a good time? Um, Getting a bit woozy. Yeah, I guess. So I guess there's a bit of a, yeah. bit of a good time yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, 18th of January. Tragedy! Jeff is viciously attacked by an entire chapter of huge leather-clad Hells Angels led by what looks like Meatloaf's big brother, despite his brave attempts to fend them off with nothing more than a half-eaten halloumi roll. Ooh, halloumi mm, roll. Yum. The attackers managed to steal the phone from his rock-hard, clenched fist. Typically, Jeff makes light of the matter, claiming the podcast was uh, claiming on the podcast that the attack was merely two skinny blokes on a moped, but we all know the truth. I actually think it might have just been one person yeah, on a moped. Yeah, I think it was, yeah. yeah. 18th February, Elon Musk's company SpaceX launches Falcon Heavy, the world's most powerful rocket. Strangely, the payload includes a convertible Tesla electric car, which is released into orbit around the Earth, complete with a dummy of an astronaut sitting at the wheel. However, most bizarrely is, <laughs> is the unidentified container in the passenger seat, which reliable sources claim <laughs> to contain the ingredients to make ice cream. Oh. In an exclusive interview, Elon Musk claims to have no knowledge of the canister or its contents, but is strongly of the opinion that it was placed there surreptitiously by Jeff Lloyd as an act of revenge following Mr. Musk's refusal to make a sizable donation via Patreon. Wouldn't that just be great if just one billionaire... Mm, just one. Just thought, we can, we can, I can spare then something in the mm. seven figures <laughs> every month. Yeah. March the 18th. Oh, I've just realised something. What? I've been announcing these things as yeah. if it was the 17th of April, 17th of March, yeah. when in actual fact he means... Oh, 2018. Yeah. Oh. Okay, okay. <laughs> Sorry, Jeremy. Right, right, right. I've had a very rough time of it. I found out I need very focal. Yeah, it's understandable. Yeah. Don't worry. Um Another unexpected arrival courtesy of Annabelle, not only via her birth canal this time... Mm. My long-awaited copy of Annabelle oh. versus the Internet finally arrived at my office, Three. thoughtfully sealed yep. within a brain, a plain brown package, <laughs> yeah. thereby preventing any embarrassing taunts from my colleagues. Sad oh. to say, the title and cover design differed from the one I previously proposed to Annabelle, oh, yes. apparently because the publisher felt that Challenge Annabelle sounded too similar to Challenge Annika, mm. a TV show from a few years back. I mean, I do think that's the joke as well. No, it, it wasn't that. It was that they didn't think that enough people would get the reference. Oh, I see. Because it's so dated. Right, okay. Yeah. Uh, although in retrospect, I felt that the situation could have been resolved quite simply by Annabelle changing her name. I spot a handwritten message on an inside page from Annabelle, hoping I like the new cover. Oh, Annabelle, you can be so cruel. <laughs> Maybe next time, eh? Mm. I mean, 
Jer- I like Jeremy's artwork. It was good. Yeah, it's great. I've got the the picture that Jeremy gave us upon um, not the wall in here, but the wall in Sarah's office. Yeah, yeah, it's very good. Yes. Um, so there we go, Jeremy. I very much enjoyed that. It's good to hear from you. It is. I hope you're all recovered after the operation. Yeah, sorry to hear about that. Yeah. Uh, I hope it was just cosmetic. Yeah, I'm sure it was. Yeah, it's probably in, I don't know. Breast reduction? Yeah, <laughs> Jeff. That's what I'd like. <laughs> right. Just projecting. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, so there we go. Uh, it's the latest edition of the podcast. Um, thank you for that. That's wonderful. I, mm. I look forward to next year. Yeah, me too. From Jeremy Brent. And there'll be another podcast next week. If you'd like a publication, by the way, just email us hello at adriftpodcast.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. 